Hello, and welcome to another episode of Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. This speaker series was developed as a part of a course in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. This week's guest is Philip Levins. Before working his way up to becoming an accomplished writer and producer, Levins grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and attended the University of Texas at Austin before moving to Los Angeles to pursue his career. He worked as a creator and showrunner for the limited series Ascension, and has written and produced a number of other shows, including the CW's Superman drama Smallville. In this conversation, he describes the challenges and opportunities he's faced in the media industry and what it's like to create and manage television productions, as well as his advice for those starting out in the business. He spoke on November 10th, 2016 on the UT campus, and the conversation was hosted by Elisa Perrin. Okay, everyone's so nice and quiet. Greetings, uh, I'm Elisa Perrin, and welcome to our media industry conversation uh, with Philip Levins. And first, before we start our conversation, I want to give some thanks to various people, including my co-organizer of this, Cindy McCreary, as well as our support staff, Eric Apollo, Laura Felshow, Tim Piper, and Kyle Rather. And I'd like to thank several people in the RTF department, including our chair, Paul Steckler, and our web person extraordinaire slash marketer, Alana Wakeman, as well as the Moody College of Communication, uh, especially Dean Bernhardt and Associate Dean Mike Wilson for their support in organizing this. And if you enjoy this event and want to hear prior ones, we have podcasts on the website, or you can follow us on Twitter at RTFMIC. Gotta do the plug. Okay. So as far as a little bit of background about our guest, uh, we're thrilled to welcome Mr. Levins here today, and I'm thrilled to see such a great turnout. Uh, he came here out from LA, but he's originally from Lubbock, and he attended, <laughs> yay Lubbock, uh, and attended UT um, a while back, and he has a number of impressive credits, which include uh, recently the sci-fi miniseries Ascension, which you can watch streaming on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Uh, previously wrote for Smallville and many other projects I'm sure we'll hear about during the course of our conversation. And he's currently working on a and &E series called The Accused and another series for Televisa called Deep State. So maybe we'll hear a little bit about that as well. Um, so our goal hopefully for today is to give you a sense of his career trajectory, uh, a bit of what it means to be a writer producer for television and his views on the current state of the media industries. And hopefully in addition to that, uh, you guys can get some advice for yourselves on breaking in if you're interested in working in television. Okay, so with that, welcome. Okay, so um, I'll ask questions for a while and then the last half hour or so, I'll open up for Q&A from the audience. Uh, so just to start off, um, maybe you can give us a sense of how you first figured out you wanted to work in television and sort of how you got to that point. Um, television, uh, it was in the 90s and uh, I had been writing movies and I had an agent who said, you should really write for TV too. And I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, no, you should. And so I wrote a script and, and then I started working in TV. So it was, it was accidental. A lot of things in life that happen are, you know, you don't plan them. So did you, um, 
have an interest while you were an undergrad or um, I wanted to be a writer when I was in school here and I moved to New York and wanted to be a novelist and I realized pretty quickly um, my parents weren't going to support me doing that and uh, someone said hey they'd read some short stories that I'd published I published some here in the UP magazine and other places literary magazines and uh, a producer there said would you like to write movies I'll pay you in New York and I'll give you an office and I said okay Wow. So then how did you, uh, like, what were some of your early jobs when you were out in L.A.? Uh, I wrote a movie for John Malkovich based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, um, which is pretty cool. It's called Found in the Street. And it was independent it was through his Mr. Mud company. And I did a project for Fox and for Warner Brothers, movies, uh, action movies, whatever. Whatever the jobs were, I was always doing studio projects. Mm -hmm. Where did your training come from to do that? Um, on the job training, yeah. I mean, I just had to figure it out doing it. Well, the, the guy who hired me in New York, that was useful because he was completely crazy in retrospect because I didn't know what I was doing, but I I was getting paid and I figured out how to, to write a script while I was doing it. And scripts are very structural, mm -hmm. so you really got there's a lot of craft involved in it. You really gotta learn the craft, and I kind of did it on the job, but, and then, you know, and then in TV, TV's very uh, apprentice-based. So when you're writing a TV show, you're working with guys that have been doing it for many, many years before you when you start out. And that's really useful, too, because you really learn the structure of television, which is a pretty intricate in a lot of ways. It doesn't seem like it when you watch bad TV shows. But when it's done right, it should work well. And uh, so, so there is, a, especially in television, there's not so much in film. There's very much of a mentorship program. When you get on a staff of a TV show, you, you learn from guys that have been doing it since, you know, some of those guys have been there since the 60s doing different shows. It was really interesting to hear the stories of old Hollywood and stuff like that. Yeah, so what was the first show that you were on? Oh, I did a show um, called, I did a show for UPN called Night Visions. Or no, what was it called? It was called, I forgot. Um, anyway... And I did that with Mark Frost, actually, who created Twin Peaks with David Lynch. And he was an interesting guy, so that was kind of fun, just hanging out with Mark. And, and uh, All Souls, I think. It was about a haunted hospital. Oh, wow. So was this like the late 90s? Or? Yes, this was, this was, it was on UPN, which doesn't exist anymore. UPN and the CW <laughs> merged to form the WB. Makes me sad that you now have to say when, when and what UPN was. Yeah. <laughs> it stood for United Paramount International, actually. Paramount and another company. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that ended about 10 years ago, right? Probably more. Yeah. Maybe about 10 years. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can um, walk us through the process of writing for TV. What is, what, is it, what is it like? What does a TV writer do? Well, there's two different stages of writing for TV. There's pilot stage, and then there's, you know, when you have a show up and running, and you're in the room writing a show with a bunch of other writers. Um, the pilot stage is is basically you go sell an idea. I, I did a project with Jason Blum, who does all the horror films. I don't know if you guys know those. What are they? Uh, Insidious. Insidious and, and, and paranormal. Uh, paranormal Activity. And he used to call it, he said, it's monetizing ideas. So you have an idea, and you figure out a way to make money from it. So really, when you go in, you're selling them air. But you've got to figure out how to be convincing and interesting enough for them to go, okay, I'll buy it. So... You're monetizing ideas when you go in to sell a pilot. You're going into CBS, ABC, 
A&E, FX, HBO, wherever, and you just go in and you sell them a story. So there's two parts of it. So even though you might be a writer, you've also got to be a salesperson because you're, you're selling them on a thing saying, look, invest tens of millions of dollars in this idea. And then they go, that sounds really interesting. Then you go and write it. And then once you write it and then they pick it up, you've got a lot of work to do before you get to the stage where you have a, a room full of writers. But it, it's, a, it's a little difficult to explain because television is run by writers. Most people don't know that. They, they think of directors. Um, in movies, movies are run by directors. They hire everybody. They fire everybody. And the writer in movies doesn't really have much say in anything. It's exactly the opposite in TV. In TV, directors hate working in TV because they have so little power. Whereas in TV, it's all run by the writers. You, you come up with a concept. You hire all the actors. You design the sets with your production designer. You pick out the costumes. And you hire all the heads of the departments. And then you do the, you know, you hire the director for that week or whatever. And then you do the editing and, and you know, and you work with the network. So it's, it's not just, you're not just a writer in TV. Right? TV is run by writer-producers. So... Right, maybe you can walk us through what the pro process is like with Ascension. So how did you, if you remember, uh, how did you pitch it, and then how okay. did you manage, like how big was the writer's room, how did that process go? Well, it, I originally went to Warren Littlefield, who I, you probably know from Seinfeld. Um, he used to be the head of NBC, and, and he was at Disney. He had a deal at Disney at the time, and uh, he was, you know, and I was at CAA at the time, and they said, here's what Disney's looking for. Right, every network has its agenda of the kind of projects they're looking. Are they looking for cop shows, lawyer shows, doctor shows, sci-fi, whatever? So I went and pitched. I think they were looking for like, I don't know, buddy shows with a strange twist or whatever. I pitched a couple of ideas, and he's like, "No, I've heard that. No, we're not interested." And then he's like, "What else do you got?" And I and I just kind of said, "Do you know much about the space program?" And he's like, "Well, I'm really interested in the space program." And he's like, and, uh, and I pitched him this idea that I never pitched to anybody, but here's how I set it up. I said, I'm going to tell you a story, but if my agents knew I was going to tell you this, they'd have a heart attack. And so then he's leaning forward, and then I told him about this, this idea about generational spaceships. And then I came in with the twist, and he's like, I love that. We went in to pitch it to Disney. Disney had just bought some, just bought some other uh, big sort of event project, and they said, no, we're not going to buy it. And then I went over, and I and it's fun. Oddly enough, I went to uh, Jason Blum's company. My agent sent me over there, and I'm talking to this guy and, and uh, who, who worked for Jason. And I said, "Do you know much about the space program?" And he goes, "A, a little bit, but you know, tell me the thing." And so I tell him the story, and, I, and at the end of it, I say, "By the way, how do you? What's your connection to the space program?" And he's like, "Well, my dad, you know, was was carpenter, and you know, in the original space program. I mean, he his dad was." Wow. You know, uh, you know, one of the, the guys from the right stuff, Matt Carpenter. So, wow. so it was interesting. So then we then we went and sold it to Lionsgate and to Paramount and uh, or Universal, and then we, you know. <laughs> so, how big was your writers' room, or was there a writers' room? Yeah, there was. There, there, it, there are times and there aren't at times. You know, I think the biggest it ever was was six. You know. Um, and we had uh, various people come and go. We had a couple writers that later left to go on to The Flash. We were talking about that earlier. We had uh, writers who were doing other things, uh, the show Manhattan. So it just evolved. Maybe there were eight, six to eight, something like that. And how big are, like, how big was the Smallville writers' room? 
It's not much bigger. Right. It's, it's usually, it's pretty, they usually keep it lean. Once you get, I mean, you've got to realize what a writer's room is just a bunch of guys and girls sitting around in a room. And, you know, you start breaking stories, but most of the time you sit around and talk about stuff from college and where the best restaurants are in the valley. And then you realize, oh, we've got a deadline. And then you <laughs> go and do work. <laughs> so. so, okay, how, how much time do you allocate to write, like, a given script? And, like, how many people pass their eyes over it? Well, the allocating the time for a given script is, is you know, it's, 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 it's like saying, you know, it's, it's like art. It's cooking. There's, so you don't know. Usually you, you know when it's done. You know, you, you obviously, when you assign a script to someone, you say, here, here's seven days, eight days. You've got to write very quickly. But that doesn't mean it's done. Then you'll get it back in, and it can be right on the money, and you go, great, we're ready with this, or it can take a, a total rewrite. just depends. Um, so you don't really know until you do it. But uh, usually you're assigned a week to write a TV script. Um, That's great. So when you're a showrunner, which you were for um, Ascension, right? And other shows. Yeah. And other shows yeah. as well. What other shows were you? I, I, was, I was a showrunner for um, South Beach, which we had done. It was put that way by Jennifer Lopez. It was in Miami in oh, great. 2005. So how much, uh, who are the people that you tend to be working with, uh, like in terms of executives or creative people? Like what are the main people well, you interface with? Well, you work with every, I mean, the thing is, when you're a showrunner of a TV show, like you're the person that everybody comes to. It's like that's who the buck stops with. So you talk to the network, you talk to the studios, you also talk to all your below the line guys. And below the line, you guys know what that means? Um, it, we should probably say below the line. Well, okay, so TV and film are divided into two things. There's the line, and that's a line item in your budget. And then you have above the line and below the line. And below the line costs are fixed. They're you know quantifiable. That's how much, you know, this location is going to cost to rent, how many, how much these cameras are going to cost. You can figure that out with your UPN, your line producer. Above the line, those, those costs are potentially limitless. If you get Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Angelina Jolie, all of a sudden, a, a project that should be $40 million to make can cost $100 million. And above the line is directors, actors, writers, and producers. And below the line is cinematographers, editors, gaffers, everybody else. Great. So um, in terms of executives, are there certain types of executives, like a development executive at the network? Or a well, it's, it's process. So you'll go in originally in a network. You pitch to a development exec. and once, But development execs don't buy. So you, you go in and pitch to the head of the network, the head of, the head of like drama. Mm -hmm. So you'll go in. You shouldn't be pitching. It, by the time you get to the head of drama, you go in and pitch. You don't want to pitch to an exec, because it's not like in, in films. You do that in films. You go in and pitch to a development exec. When you're pitching a TV show, you come in, you pitch to the head of who's the buyer. You always want to find the buyer. And then you pitch to that person. And then they, once they buy it, might say, OK, this is our development exec, who was in the room in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And they're going to shepherd it. And, but when they have the meetings, the head of the network or wherever will be there as well. But, that's generally the way. Yeah, great. So I'm wondering, you've been a writer for television for a while now. Yeah. Uh, what have you seen change during the time that you've been doing this? Well, I've seen that it's become much cooler and more popular. <laughs> and 
I, you asked me before about the uh, the Austin Film Festival, which I, I used to do like from 2000 to 2005. And I remember, this was probably maybe 99, I think it was 99 or 2000, we had all been giving these lectures and uh, we were all drinking afterwards. And this guy came up to me, and he was another panelist, and he said, uh, you know, we were talking about whatever. And he just had a movie that came out. And, uh, and we were talking, and I remember he, he said, you know, you're really interesting for a TV writer. So it used to be, there was really a stigma to it in the 90s, and nobody wanted to do TV, they all wanted to do film. And now it's exactly the opposite. Everybody who does film is desperate to get into TV. All the producers, all the directors, all the writers, um, every, the, the TV business is the business of Hollywood. It makes way more money than film. It's what keeps the agencies alive, it keeps the studios alive, it employs way more people. But more than that, it's, it, it always has, but now it's got a, a cultural cachet. Now right, it's cool. Right. You know, Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, these are the things people talk about. They don't talk about, you know, necessarily the latest lame sequel that's been rewritten a million times that by the time it comes out, it's so bland that people are like, whatever. <laughs> So when do you think that changed? Do you think it was around the 2000s? I think, uh, I think maybe The Sopranos was the first thing that really started showing a lot of people, like, hey, you know, this is an art form. Mm -hmm. And TV's always been about being a novel. And you know, movies are short stories, because you just tell that one story. But TV's, you grow with the characters. So I'm curious if you can tell us, since you've worked on a project for a bunch of different outlets, like, how different is it to work with sci-fi versus CW versus... They're all CBS. the same. I mean, they, they all have their own agendas. They, they know what they want to put on the air, and they'll shape you towards that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all the execs are the same because they've all been at different places. They all move around. They all rotate. You, you know you know those guys for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And so they might have been at CW, and then they were at Fox, and then they ended up at sci-fi. And I, you'll literally see that happen. All the time. Do you find yourself having to change a project as you go from one place to the next substantively? Well, it's you really have to target that network and it has to be baked in the cake from the beginning. So you really you can't just go, okay, I know ABC wants to buy, you know, female, you know, mystery dramas and then, you know, but they're looking for blah blah blah. You can't just they don't, they're not as interchangeable. Back in the old days, you'd go in with one pitch and all the networks you could take it, CBS, ABC, NBC. It's not that way anymore. Now you may have to target two or three places. So I'm curious how uh, how you think about the audience, or do you think about the audience as you're writing? No, I, I I'm the audience. I think about my, I I always say if it's entertaining to me, you know, if you can't think about the audience, and in fact, when you do do that, you get online and you see all the the people writing about. It. Sometimes they're like you're like God, this guy's way smarter than me. You know, it's like I remember when we started doing that in in like. There was a thing called, what is it, Mighty Big TV? This was a long time ago. I don't know if you remember that. But we, it was the first time we really started. This was probably around 2000. We started seeing like a lot of feedback from fans and the way they would break down episodes and stuff. And you, really, you realize, you know, it was kind of, we were a little scared of it early on because we're like, shit, the stuff people are actually following. <laughs> we were just making stuff up. And then I remember we did, I did a, I remember I did a season ender of Smallville and we went down to Comic Con and we were tired. We've been working all year long, and then uh, and we went to Comic Con, and we put it on. We put a two-parter on in front of like thousands of people, and how obsessed everybody was, and they were coming up and asking questions about what the characters were going to do next. And we had not literally thought at all about it. We were like, "We're done. Thank God." 
And then they're like, so what is Clark doing with da-da-da-da? And you're like, oh my god, I don't know. You know? <laughs> so, so that's interesting. It has become a much bigger, much more interactive. But you still, you can't think about that because it'll paralyze you. You just got to trust your gut and hope you're telling interesting stories. I know that a lot of um, a lot of writers and producers and creative people are on social media and engage with audience. Yes. Do you find yourself doing that or engaging? No, on, I don't do any. No, no. no. <laughs> I probably should, but I just, just like. <laughs> well, um, I, mean, I think that's interesting because you tend to do a lot of science fiction stuff, and that seems yes. to have so much. I know. Um, so I'm curious, given you do a lot of science fiction material, do you see yourself, or would you recommend for students? who want to cultivate careers in the industry, like, is it good to do a wide range of stuff? Is it better to identify yourself with one genre? No, you should be able to do everything. Um, I've done science fiction, but right now I'm doing a, a legal drama for, for a and &E. I just finished a show about a, a lawyer for CBS. Um, I'm doing another project for Televisia that's a sci-fi thing. You've got to be able to wear lots of different hats because, you know, whatever arena you're in may fall out of vogue. And then it's, you know, it's gonna be a long, long winter, <laughs> so. So with Smallville, did you do research or have you, are you a comic book fan? How did you, how much did you have to do to? I mean, I just wrote it, I wrote it like a kid growing up in Lubbock, you know? I always, it was very easy for me. I, I'll, I'll yeah, look, I read a million comic books when I was a kid and I knew the mythology inside and out. And, you know, we had guys on the show like Jeff Loeb, who, you know, was a Superman writer. He wrote Man for All Seasons, and and uh, w so we had, and you know, and we had w very close cooperation with DC. Anything we needed, we got. But really, you're reinventing it, and you've got to, everything has to be personal. I always find the best things are when you can put yourself into it. And I remember what it was like being a kid growing up in Lubbock and feeling a little, you know, different or feeling like an outsider. And so you, that's, you can channel that emotion into it, and that's what makes things resonate. The more things are real, the more you can lose the artifice, lose the idea that, look, I'm making this up, and make it flesh and blood. And then you know, that's when things start really resonating. Cool. Do you find yourself doing research very often for the things you write, or what kind of research do you tend to do? I do tons of research because, again, I, I'm a big believer in verisimilitude. If it feels real, you'll create that suspension of disbelief. And, and it's also interesting. So whatever I'm, I'm doing, I want to research it because it, it all comes from passion. Passion begets passion. Passion is what sells. If you're not passionate about something, if you think you're doing it because this is what someone wants to buy, it will never sell. You've got to, I remember I was talking to Jason Blum about this. When we went around with Ascension, it was very, it was very unusual, and, and it was very difficult to sell that. And, uh, and, and uh, we went to a lot of places. And he said, you know, we're going to sell this, and I'll tell you why. He said, I remember when I had Paranormal, I went to like 150 places, and everybody passed on it. But I believed in it, and it eventually paid off. So that's the, big, it, the biggest thing in Hollywood is people respond to passion. If you have an original idea and you're passionate about it, but it has to be an original idea. You have to, and that's where that research, that experience comes in. A lot of people think they have an original idea and you're like, well, it was developed this year, it was developed that year. It's hard to find really good original ideas. You've got to have some experience and knowledge about what's come before you. Um, so I know you worked on 
a version of Wonder Woman. So yes. I'm curious uh, if you can talk us through the process of developing a project like that as, as a feature or like how writers figure into that kind of thing. I don't know. I know a lot of other people have written. I mean, uh, I know that, uh, that uh, um, about that same project. It was, it was a very, I think that the movie that got made no longer had those producers on it. Um, it had been in development for a long time. I think Joel Silver, um, other companies were involved. And it was at a time when they didn't really understand Wonder Woman. They didn't understand a lot of uh, superhero stuff. Um, I remember, for instance, I had always been a big Iron Man fan. And I, and I knew that New Line had the rights to it. And it was kind of dormant. And I went in and pitched them Iron Man. I took them Iron Man number one. And I, told, and they were, and I remember after the pitch, the, the, the lady I was pitching to said, so he's a robot? And it was like, oh my god, they just didn't get it. For a long time, nobody in Hollywood understood comic books or graphic novels or, or that narrative. It was just because you, you had this different generation. And, and Wonder Woman at that time was one of them. I remember I went in and they're like, does she have to wear that bathing suit with the flag on it? Can't she you know, like wear something cool and black, like you know, Black Widow, like all bodysuit? And I'm like, she is that bathing suit. That's what Wonder Woman is. That's the iconography of it. You need that. And they didn't have that at one time. They had had like one of the versions. It was Wonder Woman's daughter and all these other things. And a lot of writers had come on board. And then it, it went dormant again. But um, they have to, Wonder Woman's one of those projects that has to be published every year as a comic book or they lose the rights to it. Um, and so I remember I met with Paul Levitz, who was at the time the head of uh, DC. And he gave me all these Wonder Woman comics. And he said, if you want to come out, we'll show you the catalogs that we have from Marsden. He created Wonder Woman. And he was into S&M. And, and so he would make sure that in every episode, he didn't have too many bondage scenes. That's why Wonder Woman's always tied up, why she has a lasso, why she's got bracelets. He, he also invented the lie detector, which is an unusual thing. Marsden, the creator of Wonder Woman. Little piece of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> It was, a, it was an unusual product, uh, project, but uh, it was just one of the, I think uh, Josh Whedon did a version after me. I don't know if he ever got the script done. It was, it was very, it was, just, it was what they call development hell. It's one yeah, of those things. Yeah, well, and I think it's, it's worth people hearing that, you know, these feature film scripts, these properties have so many people that come and go oh, yeah. so often. I think Alita Caligridis had done it before me. Uh, a bunch of other writers had. And then, and then they had a, a, some other guys who came in and wrote a pure spec script on it. They didn't do that. And it finally got made. That's good. They did a TV show version of it that never got on the air. Right, David, the David Kelly did Kelly that. version, yes. The bootleg circulates Does around, it? yes. <laughs> um, so I'm curious. You talked a little bit about how you have to know the business as well as the creative side yes. to be someone who works in television. And I'm curious if you can give our students some advice on, like, what kinds of things do they need to know about the business? How can they learn about the business? I don't know how you can learn about the business other than being in the business. I mean, I don't know what kind of classes you guys teach here on that. I, I just don't know. Um, I don't know any other way to. I mean, Los Angeles, especially for television, is really a company town. If you make cars, you might live in Detroit. It's like that. And once you're in it, you meet all the people. You know the development charts, you, you read the, you know, the, we used to all read uh, Hollywood Reporter and Variety, and now not so much. We get, it all, we get updates on, like everybody else, on deadline and everything else. But you can see what's in development. 
and, uh, and you can talk to your agents and stuff like that and your managers. So how did you first find an agent or how do people find agents or managers? How did I find an agent? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, uh, I wrote a script. So I moved out to LA and I had been writing movies in New York for a while and then I moved out to LA and I used up all my money moving out to LA and I didn't know anybody. Um, I did know one guy, a buddy of mine, Rob Bindler, who, who uh, did this movie called Hands on a Hard Body. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And he was a good guy. And, uh, and so I said, I've got to write a movie. I, didn't, I, I, you know, I, need a, I need a script to get an agent. So I wrote a script. And back in those days, they used to have these books that you could buy that would have all the agents listed in them. And so then I just went and I photocopied my script. And I looked up those people and I sent them my script. And everybody like turned it down and, and uh, you know, just kept sending it back unopened or whatever. And then I remember after a while, of, it, was, it was, you know, I, I don't know how many it sent off. And then, this, and then I get a call on a Saturday from this guy. He's like, I'm an agent and uh, I just read your script. And I was like, someone actually read it. And he's like, it's, it's amazing and I want to meet you Monday morning and I want to sign you before anyone else does. I was like, okay, I think I can get you in considering no audacity. <laughs> I even read it. And so I went in, I signed with this guy, and, and then uh, I started doing more movies. And he was the one who actually said you should write uh, TV, too. I didn't want to do it at first because, you know, it, back then it was a little, little declassé compared to movies. But I'm glad I did. Yeah, it seemed to work out. <laughs> well, it's just, it's not just that. It's for, if you're a writer or a creator, it's, it's a much more fulfilling arena. You just have a lot more control over the product and you have a lot more say in your life, so. Do you feel like you've been able to, on the shows that you've written for, have a lot of creative freedom or do you get a lot of notes from executives oftentimes? You have incredible creative freedom. Um, you know, you, you get notes, but that's part of the process is navigating the notes and and you know, when you get to a point where you know what you're doing, you know, there's an old saying, art begins where craft ends. It takes a long time to learn the craft. And you can't just sit down and think, oh, everything I write is genius. There's a lot of process involved. But once you get to, you know, the notes are irrational. You know, these, the thing about TV executives as opposed to film executives is they have a lot of experience in actual production. So you, know, you might have a, a, a film executive who's never been on a movie set. TV executives have usually produced hundreds of hours because they do them every year. And uh, so they usually know. They're not, and they also treat writers a lot better because they work with them as a showrunner. We're all partners together. There's not that adversarial relationship. So. Cool. What do you see as um, some big challenges in the industry these days that professionals face? Are there certain things that you're finding? Well, it's, the business is becoming so big that you know, there's some people that say we've reached peak TV. I don't know if that's true or not. And there's there's so many outlets. It's like I've never seen anything like it now. There's just so many different places to sell at that you know, there's a possibility it could come crashing down. I mean, I know that in independent film, that's what happened. They so many independent films popped up that it kind of collapsed the business, at least to my understanding. But uh, TV is uh, is is just huge now, and so it's a little. I mean, Netflix and, and, and Amazon and Hulu are really changing the business, too, because they're pumping tons of money in in a way that 
you know, is great for us as writers, but you always are a little wary of what's going to happen. But that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, the other thing is production. Sometimes you have to just go all the way around the world to, to shoot. That's kind of a drag sometimes. I'd rather there be more production in Los Angeles or in America, but a lot of that's based on tax incentives and things like that. So where have you traveled for productions? A lot of Canada. We, yeah. we usually go to Canada. I mean, I did Ascension in Montreal. We did Smallville in Vancouver. I've done shows in Toronto. Um, it's just because of their tax policies. So How much of this staffing comes from people that are out of L.A. versus All local? of it. All of it. We never hire any staff out of the places we shoot for writers. Right. For production staff, is it? Oh, the production is all there, except for maybe some key people. We might bring in a cinematographer, and the directors can be brought in, obviously, from America, but all the writers are always in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons they want those productions there, because we're employing hundreds of people and generating tens of millions of dollars in business. So uh, for the writers who are working on the show, they're writing out of L.A., Do, does maybe one person go up for... Depends on their level. Yeah. If they're a staff writer, they may not go up. If they're a producer, they, you know, in, at a higher level, they'll go up and produce the episode. It just depends. It depends if you have an on-set director, producer, too. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, what do you see as some big news developments in the industry lately? Or well, what obviously, you, Netflix, yeah, Amazon, Hulu, Crackle, all platforms, of that. That's yeah. just, it's amazing. Yeah. What, are there other recent developments that you think are that you're following closely? No, I mean, there's, there's a, the typical technical innovation. I mean, I remember when we used to cut on flatbeds, and then we went to Avid's, and now you know, nobody even knows how to cut that way anymore. But, and then same thing with film. I remember for a long time we were like, we're not going to digital. We're, we don't, you know, we want film, we want film. And now digital, it's, it's amazing. You can do anything with it. And then, you know, we used to get, like, every day we'd get VHS tapes and, you know, messenger to us so we could look at dailies at our homes or at our offices or whatever. And, you know, that was a huge amount of traffic in Los Angeles, people delivering dailies. Now it's all... You know, sent to your computer automatically, but those are, but those are just incremental things within. But none of those are big deals. But but Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and that is are huge deals. Um, have you worked with any of those outlets yet? Or? Um, I've had a couple meetings. I'm I'm developing some stuff with them. But uh, you know, I've always been a late adapter. I've always been like, okay, I'm gonna stick with what works. And now I'll. My theory was always like when other markets become bigger and legitimate, they'll hire you anyway, you know, and that's how, because you've been doing it and you have the bona fides, so you can just move over there. That's why I always didn't do much internet stuff because I was like, well, once they can pay what networks and studios can pay, then you can. But it sounds like now they're, they're paying pretty well. Oh, they're paying great. <laughs> no, they're paying great and they're, and they're it's a, again, it's all the same people. The people that are running, they, I remember them from other studios. They, Everybody just moves around. I always say that nobody ever dies in Los Angeles. They just move. So. Often failing upwards, too. It's true. <laughs> oh, we've seen that for sure. Um, so let's shift to some advice uh, for students. Um, what would you recommend uh, for them preparing? And I, and I will say that we do offer you know, a range of TV classes and industry classes here. Um, but beyond sort of taking classes, uh, how can they best prepare for careers in the industry? Um, well, to be tough and resilient and not take no for an answer and to be, you know, passionate. They're just the same things that succeed in any business. 
if you won't take no for an answer, someone eventually will say yes to you. I remember when I was, a friend of mine dropped me off here today, and he wanted to be a writer when we were in college here, and he said, I'm gonna go to law school though, just in case. And now he's a lawyer. And, and I remember saying to myself, I'm either gonna be homeless or I'm gonna do that. I'm like, I'm gonna burn all the bridges behind me. It's, I'm either gonna make it or I'm gonna fail spectacularly. And that's, and if you have that thing where you don't give yourself a fallback, and it's probably not the advice your parents wanna hear, but if you're that driven and you don't give yourself an out, you'll do it. But if there's something, because it's hard, and it's one, look, there's certain businesses that everybody wants to do, and so there's a lot of people coming in, and there's a lot of competition. But if you're, if you're driven enough, you can do it. But if you will take no for an answer, you probably won't. What do you look for when you're hiring people or in, with intern? Excuse me. <laughs> well, it just depends on what arena. You're talking about, like, for... For writers' oh, rooms just, or... That's just... You want someone that doesn't smell bad because you're in a room all day. And believe me, you can have that happen. And uh, you want someone that uh, is a good writer. That's it. You, you, you know, you've got to remember, you don't know who it is when, you, when you're reading the script. You only do the meetings if you like the writing. And so you don't know if this is, sometimes a, a woman will come in and you, you don't know because it'll be like initials. You don't know who it is. There's no photo attached to it. It's just, it's just purely the page. So it's purely ability. And then once you meet them, if they're normal enough that you can go, okay, hire them. But even if they're not, if they're totally weird and they're amazing, you still don't care because that's, believe me, it's really hard to find really, really good writers. So. I, I guess for good writers, is it characterization? Is it telling stories? Is it structure? Is it? It's, you know, what was that famous thing that Chief Justice said? You know it, what porn is when you see it? It's like that with it's like that with writing. Interesting analogy. <laughs> <laughs> it it really is. I mean, it just pops off the page. It's just like from the first sentence, the characters, the dialogue, the setup, the action, and you can sometimes see like what you do too when you put together a writers' room. I always liken it to like putting together a sports team. You know, not everybody's Kobe. You don't want everybody to be Kobe. Sometimes you need a rebounder. Sometimes you need a three-point shooter. You and so some people are really good at story. Some people are, we have what we call idea, idea, we used to call them idea guys, now they can be idea people, I guess. But they, they may not be good writers, but man, they can come up with crazy ideas that you'll go, we can work that in somehow. Um, other just amazing scene writers, dialogue writers. It's very hard to find someone who can do all of it together, and that's a person that's like worth their weight in gold. So do you think that students working in the media industry should move to Los Angeles, or do you think there's other places? It just depends on what, I mean, I don't know what the media industry is. I know what TV is. Yeah. And if you're, if you're going to work in TV, yes. It, like I said, it's a company town, and you can't do it outside of LA yet. I mean, I wish it would break out more in Austin, but there is no other place where it happens. I mean, look, we, people film in North Carolina, they film in Florida, they film in Georgia, they film in New Mexico, TV shows, but there's no TV business there. That's just a TV show being filmed there. There is only one TV business, and that's in Los Angeles. So, um, so I guess uh, if you knew then what you know now, um, what you've learned, are there things you might do differently or that you'd give advice to your younger self or our younger students, is the case maybe? Sign a prenup. No. <laughs> About the industry. Oh. Um, uh, 
No, just, you know, don't become cynical. Just, you know, still, you know, look, it's the same thing now. When you, when you have a great scene or whatever, a great idea, you still get so excited by it. It's still right there, a great thing. Your passion, just let your passion, never let your passion die and never, never do it for the money. That's the worst thing. When you start doing it that way, then you become a hack. So do it for, for what you got into it for, you know, which is like saying, it takes a lot of unmitigated gall and arrogance and you know, whatever, but you've got to say, I've got a story that I think the world will want to hear. And that is a huge act of courage to say because most of us probably don't. But you've got to believe it strongly enough that you do. And when you do have that, then you can really cha start changing narratives. So. so I'm curious about your own influences as a media maker. What are some of the movies or TV shows that you watch that influence what you do? I mean, probably with me, it's more reading originally um, because that's your set at an earlier age. And I loved Poe and Borges and Melville and you know all of those writers. Um, classic American narratives. I've always been interested in those. Um, you know, there's so much amazing TV now that I even love things like Twin Peaks. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that show. I guess they're going to do a new one for our Showtime. Yeah. But um, so yeah, what are, you, what are you watching these days? What should other people be oh, watching? I usually am watching, if I'm developing something, I usually watch something in that arena just because I don't want to copy it. Because then, because the note will come in if you don't know that show that's a, that has similar things, they'll go, well, and you've done this great scene. Well, haven't you seen the newest episode of The People versus OJ or whatever? It's like, they did that. So you've got to see those shows, whatever. Because that's all. People have a very short memory. They won't remember what something was a show from five years ago. But if it's on the air, then you better watch it. Don't copy it, but just, just watch it so you don't make repeat it. Because then you'll have to pull that scene and restructure and rewrite. So what are your favorite shows? I love Game of Thrones, like everybody, and, you know, <laughs> Breaking Bad, and you know, so many great shows. Well, I, I want to thank you for taking the time. This is really informative and helpful. And uh, thanks for coming out here from LA. Sure. Thank you for listening to Media Industry Conversations. This has been a production of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film and the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. For information about upcoming events and to listen to past guests, visit rtf.utexas.edu slash mic. This series was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary, with the assistance of Tim Piper and Laura Felshow. Our videographer is Erica Paolo, and the program was produced and edited by me, Kyle Rather. We hope you join us next time for another Media Industry Conversation.